About a year ago, I was invited to back to the church that I retired from. And the pastor invited me to be part of a series called What I'm Passionate About. And each of the pastors of the church were going to take one of them, and I was invited to be the fourth one. And as I thought about it, there are a lot of things that, that came to my mind, things that are important to me. Things like discipleship, things like community, things like outreach. But what my mind kept coming back to was peacemaking. And I began to reflect on that. Why was that uh, so important to me? And I realized the last two churches that I had the privilege of being the senior pastor, that those were places where being a peacemaker was essential. For both of those churches had been through a season of division and polarization in life of the church. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of pain. And they needed to have a season where peace in its fullest biblical sense was brought back into the life of the church. That first church uh, was there for 11 years, and I uh, had the opportunity to develop skills, and God taught me a lot about uh, what it takes in order to bring that kind of healing. But by the time I left, the church was, was in a very healthy spot. In fact, just a couple of days ago, I, I got some texts from the current pastor talking about some of the great things that are happening in the life of that church. And the other church for 20 years or more had had just one disaster after another. No pastor in that church lasted longer than three years, and there was a lot of hurt. Even families split apart in the midst of that church. And for that church to move forward, peace was an important element. And so I am uh, excited to share with you some of the things that I've learned, some of the principles from Scripture regarding uh, peacemaking. And I think that's especially important in our nation today. As, as I look around to our nation, I'm seeing polarization, I'm seeing anger, I'm seeing division everywhere I look. On airplanes, uh, stewards are talking about the unruliness of the passenger. Sometimes the passenger has to be removed from the aircraft. In school board meetings, police have to come in in order to maintain the peace. Even in church meetings, there, there's anger. There's been uh, churches where the pastor has been confronted because he isn't preaching the, light, the right uh, political philosophy rather than preaching theology in the workplace and in healthcare. The list just goes on and on. And, and we live in a time of division and polarization. But God has called us as a people, as the church, to be peacekeepers, to be peace bringers to people. And so I want to talk about that. Now, peace is a big topic. In fact, there are over 400 verses in Scripture that deal with peace. And if I was to quote each one of them to you, it would take me over three hours to accomplish that, and that's more time than I've got right here. But let me just kind of give you an overview of peace. Uh, one type of peace is spiritual peace. And in this piece, uh, it's a relationship that has been restored between man and God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we read this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, peacemaking was so important that Jesus left eternity and came down to earth in order to establish that relationship. He died on the cross in order that we might have that peace. There's also inner peace, that peace that we as believers experience in spite of all the difficulties and the trials and the struggles of life. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
And then there's international peace, world peace. But I'm not going to deal with those topics this morning. Those are worth a sermon in their own right. But the topic I'm going to be dealing with is interpersonal peace. It's the peace that is so necessary to bring health to families and marriages and churches and friendships, community, and even our country. We are entering into the last year before the next election. And I guarantee you that the politicians are going to try to get you upset. They're going to try to get you angry. There's going to be a lot of polarization and division and so forth. And in the midst of that, the question becomes, how do we as followers of Jesus respond to a culture that is so wrapped up in so much division and polarization? Well, let me, let me uh, share a verse with you. I have my, I have my Bible app here on uh, my iPad. Let me just share this with you. As far as it depends upon you, destroy those who disagree with you. Terminate those from the other group. Decimate those who are different. Crush the, oh, oh wait a minute, <laughs> my bad. Uh, that's from my news feed, uh, my, my favorite uh, site, uh, imrightyourwrong.com. Uh, I'd better go back to this, this app over here. And we're going to look at Romans 12, starting with verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, peacemaking is a huge topic in Scripture. In fact, the word peace is used over 100, 420 times. And this is just going to be an introduction to the topic. But Jesus, let's, go to, let's start with Jesus and what he said about peace. He said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what do you do more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Over in Luke chapter uh, 6, he says this, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If anyone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Now, peacemaking is not a passive activity. It requires great effort. Paul, writing to the, the church at Ephesus, he describes it in this terms. He wrote this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Did you catch that? Make every effort. 
It requires all of us to be aware of it. It takes all of us to work together to bring peace. And our world desperately needs to see within churches that we are people of peace and that we can make a difference and we can be salt and light in our community. It needs to be a core value. And in fact, for the brethren in Christ, it is a core value. I uh, copied this from the webpage of the Brethren in Christ where they list their core values and we reread re this. We value all human life and promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation, and nonviolent resolution of conflict. So the question is this, how do we respond to a culture of division and alienation and polarization? Well, the first thing is that we need to reject those values. In Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 20, we read this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, and faction. Now, these, uh, Paul's saying, that's our old nature. That's the sin nature. That's that part of us that rebels against God. And he says that we're to reject these things. Now, I want to look at just a few of these. And, and by the way, these are not everything in that list, but these are the ones that relate to interpersonal relationships. The first one I want to look at is fits of rage. And again, going back to Galatians chapter 5, we read this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Hatred, discord, jealousy, and then fits of rage. This is uncontrolled anger. It's anger for the sake of anger. And everywhere we look, we see that that's going on. In fact, the, the media is trying to make you angry because they know you'll respond. Politicians are trying to make you angry. Even, and I, and I uh, hate to see this, but even Christian groups will send out mailings to raise money and they will use this, this anger in order to try to get you to give. But Paul says that we're to reject that kind of, of that anger, that trying to attack people, name calling. James in chapter one says this, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Did you notice that there are three parts to that verse? The first one is to be quick to listen. You know, too often when we listen to somebody we disagree with, we're listening in order to debate them. We're listening in order to find some point that we can prove them wrong rather than listening to try to understand. And what James is talking about here is that, that kind of listening where we wanna know where that person's coming from and why they have that particular position. The second thing he says is slow to speak. And that's that part of listening and not being there to immediately go back and try to rebut what they said, but to understand. And maybe to, to ask some questions, to get a better clarification so that you really understand where they're coming from. And then the third one is, that to be slow to become angry. You know, when we become angry, that part of our brain that's rational shuts down and the, the, the part of the brain that uh, is filled with emotions takes over. I have a dog, her name's Blossom. She is the most amazing dog. She weighs 12 pounds and, and she's the most delightful dog unless she sees another dog. And if she does, then that part of the brain takes over, that angry part of the brain, the, the uh, simple part of the brain, and she becomes uncontrollable. She won't even go for treats, which is like her, her number one uh, joy in the world. She has got to go after that, that particular the dog that's out there. Well, we humans are very similar to that when we get angry. 
And Vidi and others know that and they play upon that. Proverbs 29 says this, an angry man stirs up dissension and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Well, we need to be careful that way. The ancient uh, philosopher and, and emperor Marcus Aurelius said this, how much more grievous are the consequences of anger than the causes of it? Someone once said that if you speak while you're angry, you'll make the greatest speech you'll ever regret. And so Paul says, reject this part of our culture. And when you see that happening, pull back from it. The next thing he says was reject dissensions. And that's also part of that verse in uh, Galatians chapter five. It literally means a standing apart. It's talking about polarization. It becomes where we no longer are, are coming together, but we're pulling apart. And again, I, I was watching uh, a news thing this morning and they were talking about this. Looks like our whole country is coming apart at the seams. And we as followers of Jesus Christ, we should not be part of that. We should be part of that community in our nation and our community that's pulling people together. We're called to be peacemakers. There's a story of a man who was on a desert island for many, many years and finally uh, he was found and the rescue crew came to the island and they were perplexed because they saw that there were three huts made of bamboo and, and palm leaves and they, they ask him, what's, what's the huts for? He says, well, that first one, that's where I live. And they ask, well, what's that second one over there? And he says, well, that's my church. And he said, well, what about the third one? He says, well, he with a scowl on his face, he says, that's my old church. I don't go there anymore. Well, we have that dissension that takes place that is so much a part of our culture. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 3 says, it is a man's honor to avoid strife, but every fool is quick to quarrel. And friends, we live in a quarrelsome society and it's infiltrated into our homes and into our communities. And again, we're to reject that. Let me share a story of a gentleman by the name of uh, John Perkins. John uh, was an African-American pastor in the South. An amazing pastor. He started a church and then started a Bible institute. He started an uh, after-school tutoring program, recreational center for the youth, and, and up to that point, everything was fine uh, with John. But when he began to organize for the blacks to vote, he had crossed the line. And a group of white police officers from Mendenhall, uh, the, his town that he lived in, beat him up so bad that he would... Uh, required 18 months to recover. They really removed two-thirds of his stomach. But while he was recovering, Pastor Perkins wrote the following about that time. He said, that time was without a doubt my deepest crisis of faith. It was a time for me to decide if I really did believe what I had so often professed, that only in the love of Christ, not in the power of violence, is there any hope for the world I began to see how hate could destroy me. In the end, I had to agree with Dr. King that God wanted us to return good for evil. Love your enemy, Jesus said, and I was determined to do it. It is a profound and mysterious truth, Jesus' concept of love overpowering hate. I may not see it in my lifetime, but I know it's true. Because on that bed, full of bruises and stitches, God made it true for me. I got a transfusion of hope I couldn't give up. 
we were just getting underway in Mendenhall. Well, John became a, a great advocate of racial uh, reconciliation and of peace and of peacemaking. Indeed, he and a gentleman by the name of Thomas Torrent, he, Thomas was a former KKK operator, operative, came to know uh, Christ in prison, now uh, pastors a church, a multiracial church, and he and John would be on the platform together. That's the kind of peace that God has called us to do. Well, the next thing I want to point out from that list is that we're to reject factions. Factions is a point where the other group is no longer human. It's when we have give, give them names, and I've heard these names in our culture and our news feeds and so forth, and it is totally, totally destructive and uh, something that we as believers in no way should be part of. Sometimes I see memes come on uh, the social media, and I just shake my head and said, you can't say that about people. That's hurtful. That does not recognize that every person has the image of God stamped on them. It becomes the Hatfield and the, the, the McCoys. It gets into marriages, which is what breaks marriages down. It breaks apart families. And some of you, as the holidays are coming closer now and you're thinking of Thanksgiving, you know what I'm talking about here. And we're called to be peacemakers in our family. And maybe there's somebody that you need to try to bring that together with. The philosopher Marty, Martin Marty said this, the alternative to civility is incivility than war. Peanuts has a way of bringing these things together. And uh, Linus and Lucy are walking along and Linus says, Charlie Brown says that brothers and sisters can learn to get along. He says that they can get along the same way that mature adults get along. And he says that adults can get along the same way that nations get along. And then Linus says with a funny look on his face, at this point, the analogy breaks down. Well, unfortunately, the analogy breaks down today, even at the adult level, as we're not willing to be civil with one another. We're not willing to, to reach out to one another and try to understand each other, even when we disagree with each other. Well, that's the negative side. We're to reject the world's values. We're reject the, 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 the deeds of the flesh. But we're also to embrace God's approach, God's plan. In that same chapter in Galatians, uh, we find that he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those are the things that we're called to do. So let me go back to that, that verse in uh, Romans chapter 12. Well, we read this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friend, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, saith the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, let me just take a, a sidebar here for just a minute that Matthew 18 
can be part of a process in terms of healing and peacemaking. And in my experience in those churches, there were points where Matthew 18 were important. And in relationships, and I want to be careful to say this, that if you're in, a, if you're in an abusive relationship or uh, someone that your, your spouse is in an adulterous relationship or someone in your family is involved with addiction or alcoholism, there needs to be confrontation. And the most loving thing to do is to confront them on that and help them encourage them to get the help that they need. But this is not to say that you're to stay in those kinds of relationships where you're being abused and misused. But other than that, we find that these things can be very applicable. It's interesting to me that as we move into a season of political turmoil of the next year, that the very next subject that Paul addresses right after he finished talking about the importance of being a peacemaker is government. Romans chapter 13, he says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And I think those two are tied together. And Paul's trying to say to us in the power of the Holy Spirit that when we talk about the political issues, that there needs to be this element of peacekeeping. We can disagree with people. I'm not saying in any of this that we shouldn't disagree. But there's a difference between disagreeing with issues and demonizing people. Well, let me continue on here. Another principle is don't judge those outside the church. In 1 Corinthians 5.12, we read this, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? You see, we make the mistake of thinking that we can force people outside of the faith to be like us. But it, it doesn't work. You know, I'm reminded of the little boy in the car. His mother says, sit down, and he, he doesn't sit down. And she said, pushes him down, and she, he gets back up. And finally, she pulls the car over, and she puts the seatbelt on him, and she says, you're going to sit there. And the little boy's like this. And he says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. And you see, what she was doing was conformation, but not transformation. When we try to make those outside the church, understand those outside the church, they don't have the Word of God. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the relationship with God. So they're going to be like they're going to be. But we inside the church, we have all those. And our job is to share Jesus with them, to bring them to a relationship. And if what we're doing is yelling and screaming at them and telling them they're awful people and then say, by the way, Jesus loves you, it isn't going to work. They need to see that, that we care about them as, as individuals, even when we disagree with them. And again, I know some of you are coming into Thanksgiving and there are members of your family that are they're living a lifestyle that you disagree with. And they probably know because of your relationship with Christ that you disagree with them. But what they need to know is that you will love them and respect them, even if you disagree with them. And then you pray for them and trust that God's spirit will work in their lives in, in a number of different ways in order to, instead of bring con confirmation, bring transformation. Well, the next thing that I think is important as we think about peacekeeping is we need to be humble. Ephesians 4, 2, which we have referenced before, says, be completely humble and gentle. You know, none of us have a corner on truth. None of us are infallible. And part of the, the idea of, of humility is the willingness to listen to others. You know, 
Humility is a uniquely Christian trait. And it's that willingness to, to understand a person's viewpoint, even if we disagree. Uh, while I was up at uh, Lake Tahoe a year ago, and Tammy and I were just sitting around, and, and, and mostly Tammy and I have the same political views, but we have, there, there are nuances where we disagree. And on one of those issues, she asked me, said, can you explain to me why you hold that particular position? And I had the opportunity to share that with her. But what's really meaningful to me was she was willing to listen to me and, and, and not debate. She didn't debate. She asked a couple of questions. I don't think I changed her view on it, but I felt respected. And when we listen to people who have different views, even when we disagree, and in the, in the proper context, we can share why we have our particular views. But to demonize people, to call, to call them names, to accuse them of things that, that are uh, off the wall, those don't help in terms of that peacemaking process. One of my favorite television shows in the past was Monk. He was a detective and he would be looking at cases and he would come up with a theory. And when he said this theory, he would say this statement, I might be wrong, but I'm not. And too often I think uh, we can be in that position where we say, I might be wrong, but I'm not. Humility says, well, I might be wrong. I think one of the great things when we get to heaven is we're gonna find that brethren and brothers and sisters from other denominations and faith and so forth had some truths that we didn't have and we had some truths and it, we're gonna learn a lot up there. And it's important that we have a level of humility. Well, let me share with you another uh, cartoon. And it's another Peanuts one, and it's Charlie Brown and uh, Snoopy. And Charlie Brown says to Snoopy, I hear you're writing a book on theology. And Charlie Brown then says, I, I hope you have a good title. And Snoopy says, I have the perfect title. Has it ever occurred to you that you might be wrong? Well, I think that's a good uh, motto to, for all of us to embrace, is that we might be wrong. Uh, we might learn from somebody who disagrees with us. Maybe they've got some good points uh, along the way. Maybe we don't want to agree with, we won't agree with everything that they hold, but they might change our attitude a little bit along the way. And so uh, that, that point of being humble, willing to listen. And then also, uh, we're to be gentle and respectful. Peter, in writing in 1 Peter, says this, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The word for gentleness is an interesting word. It has the idea of power under control. It's being angry at the right thing, but not at the person. Uh, and we're called to have this gentleness, and that's important, especially in the divisive, polarized uh, society that we live in today, that we approach these issues with others uh, with, a, with a spirit of gentleness. Do we, do we understand that most of these people believe what they're saying, and that they may well be wrong, but they have reasons behind it, and they respect them as human beings? It's also the idea of being respectful. The, um, the president of the denomination that I was part of for many, many years, about a year ago, he came out with a letter dealing with one of the major social issues of our time. And at the end of that letter, he had a paragraph that I thought really captured this idea of what it means to be respectful of those outside the church. And I'd like to, to read it to you. The, the president's name was Scott Rideout. And he wrote this. 
May we all respond in biblical ways to whatever issues arise in our society. We encourage true followers of Christ to receive this news with great humility and sober-mindedness because of the hardship and hard work to come. The church has a great opportunity to demonstrate the grace, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness of Christ, as well as serve our communities with care, comfort, and generosity. May God lead us in our efforts to help people meet, know, and follow Jesus. I think those are very, very powerful words in terms of how do we deal with some of the controversial issues of our day. We can disagree without being disagreeable. The next one is don't demonize. The Pharisees did that of Jesus. They said that he was the prince of demons. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. Well, we can do that. And I see it often happening in our, in our world today where we no longer pe treat people as special people in the eyes of God, people who have the imago Dio, the, the image of God stamped on them, but treat them as fellow human beings. And then finally, don't give in to fear or anger. In Ephesians 4.26, we read this, in your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. You know, anger sells. Newspapers, uh, publicists, politicians, fundraisers, they've discovered this. They want you to click on that site. And so no one's going to click on something that says, the two guys got along really good today. No one's going to click on that. But you write so-and-so, demolish so-and-so, and it'll get a million clicks. That's kind of our culture. They understand that. And yet, we as followers of Jesus need to reject that. Well, I have one final cartoon for you, and this is Calvin and Hobbes, and he's, they're one of my favorites. And Calvin is, is uh, talking to Hobbes, and he says, I'm writing a fundraising letter. The secret to getting donations is to depict everyone who disagrees with you as the enemy. Then you explain how they are systematically working to destroy everything you hold dear. It's a war of values. Rational discussion is hopeless. Compromise is unthinkable. Our only hope is a well-funded antagonism. We need your money to keep up the fight. And then Hobbes says, how cynically unconstructive. And Calvin says, enmity sells. Enmity sells. Well, it does. Well, as we kind of begin to wrap this up, let me encourage you to develop the spiritual discipline of checking your spiritual pulse. Checking your spiritual pulse. What's going on? What are, what are the emotions and feelings that are there? Is it rage, dissension, polarization, anger? Or is it respect and gentleness, love and peace and patience? You see, the things of the Spirit is the world that we're supposed to live in, not the world that we find today. Now, it's difficult because there is so much anger and there's so much division out there. But, but here's the key. God has given us his spirit, and that spirit can give us all that we need in order to be peacemakers in our homes and in our families, in our communities, and yes, even in our country. And so even as the holidays come along and you're going to be with family members, just pray that God will let you be a peacemaker in your family if that's needed. And while you're there over the Thanksgiving meal, just every once in a while, check your spiritual pulse. See how it's going. 
Maybe you need to take a couple of deep breaths as you hear some of the conversations that are going on, but just say, Lord, fill me with love for this person. Help me to re respond uh, good for any evil that's there. In uh, 2 Timothy, this is Paul's very last letter, he says to Timothy, God did not give us the spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I, I love the uh, amplified version because it brings this out a whole lot more where he says, for God did not give us the spirit of timidity, of cowards, of craven, of cringing and fawning fear. And by the world, by the way, the world is trying to give you that spirit of fear, but you need to reject that. But he has given us the spirit of power, spiritual power, and of love, and of a calm and well-balanced mind, discipline, and self-control. In 1 John 4, uh, John says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Anyone who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brothers. Well, I'd like to finish with maybe a, just a few thoughts. Listen to those that are different from you. Disagree with gentleness and respect. Check your spiritual pulse and pray for those that differ with you. Those are the very practical ways to put this in place in your families and your communities. I'd like to con conclude our time together with a prayer. It's actually from a Catholic tradition. It's called the St. Francis Prayer but I think it's very appropriate for our topic this morning. And so if you allow me, I will pray this prayer of, of uh, blessing over you. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen.